You know, this is always an interesting time of year, the Sunday after Christmas. I don't always know what exactly to do with it. Um, it's kind of unique, isn't it? It's kind of uh, the gray area of the year, the blurry line between the old and the new, the hinge between the years. And that's where we are right now, on the hinge. It's a week where we reflect on the past year, where we make preparations for the new one. A lot of people made plans last night. They said, I'm going to, this year's going to be different. I'm going to, I'm going to do things differently this year. We make resolutions that some things are going to change in the next 365 days and there's a lot of interesting ways that people celebrate the new year in the world. In South Korea, they have this kite ceremony where they'll write out their bad decisions and memories from the past year on a slip of paper and tie it to a kite and fly the kite as high as they can and then cut the string. Get rid of those bad memories and, and bad decisions. It floats out of sight, crashes somewhere, which means there's a pile of bad decisions somewhere. But they feel that, you know, it erases the, 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 what they did the past year. Or in Italy, I don't know if they still do this or not, but at least they used to, is that you didn't want to be on the street at midnight because the new year would start, the windows would fly open, and out would come all the old furniture and <laughs> into the streets. Yeah, you would be, it'd be kind of scary out for a walk. You'd be dive-bombed by an armchair. In Canada, we're not so dramatic, but we make a lot of promises to ourselves. I'm going to lose weight this year. I'm going to make more money. I'm going to be more friendly. I'm going to eat healthier tomorrow. <laughs> I'm going to figure out my life, or I'm going to learn a language. We all make resolutions. And you know, whether or not they're at New Year's, we make resolutions, don't we? All throughout the year we do. And there are things in our lives that we want to see changed. We do life renovations. We want to change or replace or cover up things in our lives with a new coat of paint, a gym membership, better work habits, or a healthier daily menu. We look at ourselves and think, you know, I could use some new cupboards there. But did you know that the third weekend in January is actually, it's been deemed the most depressing weekend of the year? It's because the Christmas bills have finally come in. And people start realizing that they're failing at the resolutions they made three weeks ago. So people tend to live in, in one or two areas when it comes to resolutions. They try to either may they make life, either they keep making new resolutions or they come to the conclusions that these renovations are pointless and that everything will just fade away in the end anyway. You can't cover up what's underneath forever. But that's the thing with renovations, isn't it? We can remodel and change a house as much as we want, but we can't change the foundation without having to knock the whole thing down. 
And the first nick in the wall often reveals the old color underneath. And it's not bad to make renovations or resolutions, but they aren't what's going to they aren't what's going to be they aren't going to be what's uh, Man, I can't wrap my hind. I can't read a sentence I wrote. My new resolution for this year is to be able to read. Resolutions and renovations aren't what is going to save us. You know, today we're looking at Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. And as you turn there, let me give you a little bit of background information. Uh, it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in a place called Ephesus. It was a church made up of both Jews and Gentiles, though mostly Gentiles. It's about a, the need for unity and grace among the church and among family and the individual. Ephesians is kind of in, in two parts. The first half of it being about believing and knowing God's grace, and the second half about walking in God's grace. And we're kind of at the hinge of these two parts today. And so let's read together. So starting in verse 17, it says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you, mo- you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, or as the people that, 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 that weren't seeking after God, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous, and given themselves up to sensuality, greed, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray before we continue any further. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we look into this passage, may you speak, may we hear what you are saying in this passage, Lord. May you work in our own hearts, in our own lives. May you move, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. In this life, we are often consumed with editing. Changing things, making them better. Because we renovate. Trying to figure it all out. We renovate. And in this passage, Paul paints this picture of this old life and this new life. The old life, it's, it's full of renovations. It's what the church in Ephesus they are having so much trouble leaving behind. It is a life of darkened understanding, a life where one is so enamored with the things that aren't of God, with figuring out their own way, that it actually darkens what is around them until all they know is themselves. It's a life where they have become alienated from God. And they have become so hardened and callous towards him that they don't even notice him anymore. I had a classmate in high school who, thankfully, 
survived this ordeal, but she was driving, listening to her music very loudly, singing, not really paying attention, and she didn't see the train coming. And it tore her car apart. Miraculously, she walked away from it. But it changed her life in that moment. And Paul uses this word callous in this passage, which means building up this unfeelingness to what you are engaged in. And the people of Ephesus, they, they lived this old life and they'd become callous to the hurt that it was causing or leading or the road it was leading them down in their own life. This old life, Paul speaks of, leads down a treacherous path and if you follow it, you wind up in a very callous place that is very far away from God. It's a life built by self-renovations where we try so desperately to cover up the things that we aren't pleased in so that people won't notice them and will comment on our new flooring instead. The old life is all about making renovations and resolutions and changes so that we will just feel better about ourselves. It's like we have a hole in a, in a bucket that we're trying to fill. And we just keep adding more and more water, trying to hide that something's leaking, something's missing. But you know, we can never be truly satisfied with, the, with life when it is a life made in the image of ourselves. We renovate. And this is the path that we all start on, every one of us. We all start on, start on this. We renovate, but God rebuilds. Paul writes in verse 19 uh, and into 20, it says, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but, and this is the hinge of this passage, of this, of, of this life, this is where things change, but that is not the way you learned Christ. There is a different way. There is a new life. We are not talking about renovations here. We're talking about a whole new house. Foundation and all. A whole new life. But you know, as Christians, as people who follow Christ, it can be hard. Because even if you have the keys to the new house, it's hard to get fully into it if you keep holding on to the doorknob of the old one. And Paul challenges the Ephesians here. In verses 22 and 23, when he says, put off your old self, let go of the doorknob, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Tear down that old house because no matter what you do to it, it belongs to the old life. And it will always find a way to show through. You know, I know it does in my own life. That old house keeps finding a way to show up because I'm, I'm a flawed human living in a broken world. I mess up a lot and, and every once in a while 
You know, I start to rebuild that life made in the image of myself. But there is a better way. It says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And this word renewed, it doesn't mean just like renovations, right? Or to put something over top of it. It means to replace with something new. To rebuild. That is the other side of the hinge. Jesus came to this earth to die in our place so that we could have this new life. So that we could have a life that is truly satisfying. A life where everything we do is for a higher purpose than ourselves. God is in the business of rebuilding houses, not renovating. 2 Corinthians 5.1 says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. God rebuilds. And these houses, they look different. The foundation is far stronger. And they're made for our, our, our using our uniqueness. And they're made for the purpose designed for us by God. It's a house for eternity. When we accept the keys from God and put on the new self that God has created, we find that life is better because this new life is actually the one we were created for. I don't know if you've ever heard of the, the, it's a tiny tech company. It's called Apple. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, but you know, a number of years ago, I, I remember getting incredibly frustrated with Apple. You see, Apple designs their products to work best with their products. Um, which is probably a smart business model. But I needed a cable. And I couldn't just use any cable. The end that I needed was it was different than any, any other cable you could find, and it drove me nuts that I couldn't just go down to my local electronics store and pick one up. I had to order it. But you know, eventually I realized something. The Apple products work best together. And so I decided to make the switch completely to Apple, and then it was like the skies cleared. And everything worked smoothly. It felt brighter there. <laughs> because when you get the proper components together... Speaking of Apple... And we think they're not listening... <laughs> I wanted to play a radio station, I guess. But, um, but you know, when you get the proper components together, and that, it's just messed up this line for me. It all just works better. <laughs> there we go. You know, living in the old life is, is kind of like using improper components together. In Genesis 127, way back at the beginning, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
You see, we were created in the image of God, in his likeness. So why are we trying to connect a creation made in the image of God to a life made in the image of us? And we say, yeah, I'll have a little bit, a little bit of God, but not everything. I'll reserve certain parts of my life just for me, for those rainy days. But that's like trying to fit a square block into a star-shaped hole. We were not designed to live life apart from God at all. And when we are in God, we start, to, we start to realize that we're actually not designed to live only partially connected to God either. He's created us in His image, and He has designed a new life for us, one that works seamlessly with Him. Hebrews 6.1 says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. There is maturing to do in our walk. It doesn't just end with salvation, but maturation. It is a forward-stepping process of becoming more and more the image-bearers of God. How do we even do this, though? It all starts with the mercy and the grace of God. Mercy to forgive us our debt against Him. Grace to allow us to live for him. To quote the hymn, he paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. It starts with believing and confessing that Jesus is Lord and that, and that he hung on the cross to pay for our sins. And then he rose from the dead to pay for our new, for our new life. There's, there's something very important to get here. That Jesus, you know, he paid our debt by dying in our place, but if the process, if it all had just stopped there and he hadn't rose from the dead, then we'd be stuck. Stuck trying to live perfect lives. But he rose to mediate on our behalf, to sit at the right hand of the Father and say, he's with me and she's with me. I know that. Jesus paid the debt on our old life, but his resurrection paid for the new one so that we are seen as righteous through Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. We're called to live that life as well, not just salvation. And here in 2023, we're called to live fully and unashamed for God. You know, and so many, get ca- so many of us, we can get caught up with making renovations. Even in our life with Christ, right, we get so focused on our own lives that we miss the one through Jesus. And he's trying to give us the keys to the new house, but we continually push them out of the way so that we have space to dream about our own lives. Taking stock of our own life, though, we have to ask the question, am I letting that old house make an appearance? Or am I going to live in the new one? The tendency that that old house has to creep in. And you know what? It doesn't really matter if you've been a Christian for decades or you're brand new. 
In fact, sometimes it seems it can come through even more. Because I know for me, I can get a little, I can get lazy with my faith. I can get rutted in my faith. Being like, this is the way I'm going. This is how I see it. This is this. this. And God says, wait a second. Who's teaching? Who, who, who are you trying to teach here? You know, my first apartment in Nanaimo, and I, I've said this a number of times, I think, but it was a very, very tiny apartment below ground, about half the size of a stage. Um, and I lived there for a year, and then eventually I found a new place. But, you know, moving... For me, at least, it's a big ordeal. I don't like to move. And, and, and mentally, it gets to me, right? And I, and I got halfway through packing and started regretting my choice to move. It was too much work. I had just gotten everything in the perfect place in my old house or my old room before I had the brilliant idea to move and upset everything. Though afterwards, you know, I had to laugh at myself because, I mean, <laughs> I basically, I had lived in a one-room dungeon and I was having trouble leaving. But we do, don't we? We get attached to that old life. And I had recurring thoughts about my old home and my inner, log, inner, mono, inner monologue said, well, it's not like my old place. Nothing's like my old place because it was horrible. But you know, something soon happened. As things started to come together, as I stayed in my new place longer, I realized that it fit better. I didn't have to sleep in my kitchen anymore. And slowly but surely, the thoughts of returning to my old place faded away. And I said, you know what? This one is way better. You know, sometimes the idea of totally giving up our life as we have made it can seem so insanely scary. And God calls us to move into the new house, to live the life that He has made for us, and it is a scary move. It can feel intrusive. But anything that changes your life is, when we think about it, especially the stuff that is worth it. But if we continue on in this chapter, 25 to 32, just listen to the life and the community in God that Paul describes in the following verses. He says, Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. Be angry and do not sin, or do not let your anger dictate your action and, and make things right with each other. Live and work honestly with each other so that we can help those in need with what God has given us. Build each other up with what we say. Live as one free in Christ and do not take for granted your salvation. Get rid of bitterness and wrath and anger, and clamor, and slander, and malice, they aren't worth it, and they will tear you up inside. And finally, be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted. Forgive each other. Because Christ has done an incredible work to forgive you, and has given you new life. I mean, what a different way to live. 
what an incredible sounding community and, and, and an incredible life to be a part of. I mean, sign me up. That sounds pretty great. Yes, it's hard to live that way. But there is no better way to live. Are you living this in this new life? Or are you still caught up trying to make renovations? Are you still trying to connect a creation made in the image of God to a life made in the image of us? This is a battle for, for, for all of us, whether we know God or not. Whether you've come to church for 40 years or this is your first Sunday in a church. Whether you've never thought about moving to this new life or you're having trouble packing the boxes. This is the struggle because we are in a broken world and we are flawed humans, but it is worth it. When we connect a creation made in the image of God to a life made after His likeness, life is better. Christ has built for us a new life. It's time to let go of that old one and move in to the new one.